Let's pray. Father, you are a God most high. You are the only God. There is none besides you. You deserve our attention, our affection, and all the glory that we can uh, give you and, and more. And so we pray that even now we would um, pause and listen to your word, that you would speak to us through your word, and you would teach us, you would reprove us, you would correct us, and you would train us for righteousness so that we would be competent and equipped for every good work you have prepared for us. God, we come before you today before your word, uh, humbled and expectant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read for you a passage from Psalm 111, beginning at verse 121 through 128. Psalm 119, 121. This is God's word. It says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding, that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. This is God's word. It's interesting, these first few verses, because if we just read them on their own, we almost see the logic of a lot of people you may know. And, and maybe even this has been your faulty logic at some point. If you just take these at face value and you miss out on the heart at what David is getting at, you can begin to see where uh, the, a lot of people get this false assumption of I do, God responds. Look at verse 121. It says, I have done what is just and right. And so, based on that, don't, don't let me suffer. Don't leave me to my oppressors. Like, deliver me. I've done what's right. I'm, I'm a good person, right? How many of us have heard the argument, why does God let a good, sorry, bad things happen to good people? People who are just and right. People who are kind and generous. Why do they go through difficult times? They, of all people, deserve deliverance, don't they? They don't deserve to suffer the oppression of, of other people or circumstances. They've done what is just and right. They've, they've earned their keep. It seems like that is often the, the mindset of a lot of people. Why do bad things happen to good people? I've done what is just and right. Don't leave me. And so then the next verse, 122, give your servant a pledge of good. Like, give me good things. I've done what's good. I've done what's right. I've, done, I've followed the rules. So, so give me a pledge for good. Let not the insulin oppress me. For my eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Now here is where that mindset gets deadly is if, if you or anyone you know thinks that salvation, verse 123, flows from doing what is just and right, 
pledging themselves as a servant to God and now deserving of something from God and ultimately that deserving being salvation and the fulfillment of his promise. If anyone thinks that God owes them salvation or that the way they get salvation, the way they are saved from their sins, the way they are forgiven, the reason they get into heaven, if anyone believes that it's because they've done what is just and right, it's deadly. Scripture is crystal clear on that fact. Because there is no good person. There is none who does righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 makes it abundantly clear, quoting of the Old Testament, uh, again and again, that mankind is not good and just and right. That we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we have sin on our record. We have sin in our heart. We have a, a motivation that is not for God, but it's for ourselves. And so some people will see verse 121 and take that as a philosophy of life, right? Well, I've done good and just things, therefore God should deliver me or save me or rescue me from suffering or from other things. I've done it. I deserve it. But they forget that they have sinned against this God. They forget that they're not just the only righteous, but they indeed have unrighteousness as well. And so here, the longing for salvation is a good longing, but not if it gets displaced by this understanding of, I can get there. I can just do it. If I do enough right things, if I do enough good, if I, if I just take over my life and I change my attitude and I, I sort out this thing and I, I get rid of that thing and I stop talking that way and I start doing these things, then certainly deliverance will come from my oppressors, from my suffering, from my sin and its guilt and shame. But that will never come. It will never come because we are sinful. And we are sinful until God makes us new again. We are sinful, selfish human beings. And so if we look to that of what we have done for the salvation, for the, the God fulfilling his promise, then we are in great danger. But David doesn't think that. The author of this psalm doesn't think that. That doing what is just and right and being God's servant is what gives him the right to salvation. But no, look at verse 124. He says, Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Can you earn steadfast love? Can you buy it? No. Can you, can you deserve it? No. The steadfast love of God is only by the grace of God. Undeserved love towards you, an unlovely sinner. The unlovely enemy of God. The steadfast love of God. His, his loyal, faithful love to his covenant children is not because of something that they have done what is just and right. It is because of God and his glory. It's because of God and His glory that He acts. And so the people of God, with a right mind frame, pray 
all of life under the banner of 124 that says, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. I love it. As you read through the Old Testament, you read of, uh, and in the New, but um, of people who are, are physically in trouble. They are in fear. They are in trial. They are in suffering. And how do they always ask God for some sort of deliverance or relief? They point God to God. And they say, you, God, are in charge. You, God, are the, the steadfast Lover, you are the covenant-keeping God. Your name is what's most important here, and your name might be at stake. Others might defame your name because of what is going on amongst your people. They call out and they appeal to the name of God and His goodness and His fame and glory in all the earth. So according to your steadfast love, O God, that is your loyal love, your covenant promise, your faithfulness, according to that Deal with me. Because it's only when God deals with us in our sin and wickedness, even in our awful goodness, it's only when he deals with us according to his steadfast love that there is any sort of salvation and deliverance, any sort of fulfillment of God's righteous promise. His righteous promise is related to his steadfast, loyal love, his covenant-keeping love. It is not because we have done what is right and just. Because there, what happens then? If, if it is dependent on that, what happens when you don't do what is right? When you don't do what is just? When you make a mistake? When, when you walk into sin, when that temptation is so strong that you fail? Then what? Has God's love departed from you? And then you, you have to, to come again and say, I hope I don't die in the moment before God gives me that love again. Let's not think that way. Scripture does not present the love of God that way. The love of God was so strong, so covenantal, that he paid the ultimate price to the Lord Jesus Christ to secure it for his people. It's amazing what Jesus has done for us to secure and show us the steadfast, loyal love that he has towards his bride, that he would lay down his life for her. It's amazing, isn't it? And here you see uh, David saying repetitiously in verse uh, 122, 124, 125, that he is God's servant. So the concern of God's servants, in no matter the circumstance, is always going to be the glory of God. And here's where we see it. Um, Verse 126 says, It is time... For the Lord to act. It's time for the Lord to act. Like, God, do something now. Come. Come and fulfill your righteous promise, 123. Come and bring salvation, 123. Come and and, and fulfill this pledge of good, 122. Come. It's time for God to act. Time for God to do something. To show the world something. What's amazing is a lot of the times people want God to act when they have been sinned against, right? They say, God, it's time for you to act. It's time for you to come because people have mistreated me. So deliver me. That could have been David's cry here. You look at the end of 121 and 122. He's talking about oppressors who were after him. 
121, don't leave me to my oppressors. 122, let not the insolent oppress me. There are people who are after his soul, after his body. And he says, I'm being oppressed. I'm experiencing suffering here. So here in verse 126, he could have said, it's time for the Lord to act because I'm suffering. Or it's time for the Lord to act because I have been mistreated. And I'm one of, God, I'm one of your children. I'm one of your children. Deliver me. Fulfill your promise. Your word says that you'll be to me a God. You'll be to me a friend, a protector, a provider, a deliverer, a redeemer. God, it's time for you to act because I'm being mistreated. That would be the cry of most sinful, selfish people. But it's not the cry. Not the cry of the servant of God. The cry of the servant of God is this, 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. God, come and vindicate yourself. Your law has been broken. People are murderers. People are liars. People are bitter. People are angry. People disobey you. When you say don't go, they go. God, It's time for you to act because your law has been broken. And when people break your law, they spit in your face. And as your servant, it is time for you to act. I can't put up with that. I can't put up with that around me. And I I don't want to put up with it in me. So act, God. Deliver. It's time. As 123 says, my eyes long. Like my eyes are growing faint. I'm, I'm getting weary waiting for the salvation of the Lord, waiting for that, that, that coming where he will deliver his people, where he will vindicate his own name. I'm longing for that day. It's time for the Lord to act, he says, 126, for the law of the Lord has been broken. He's waiting for that salvation fulfillment. He's waiting for the deliverance. He's waiting for God to rule and to reign and to have his glory uh, recaptured in people. It could have been selfish, but it wasn't. The servant of God says it's time for God to act for him to do something because he has been defamed. God always acts for his own glory. He always acts for the fame of his own name. Here we see it in multiple texts. I'm going to read them for you. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. One of the most famous, which, which tells us that God is... Firstly and foremostly about his glory. And so then should we be. Here's what it says. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. God says, for my name's sake. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. That I will not cut you off. Behold. I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will give to no other. So when God talks about his own name and acting on behalf of and for his own name, he's talking about his own glory, the the adoration, the praise do him that belongs to him the hearts that are turned to him that recognize him as as holy and as true recognize him as god as the first and the last 
He says, that's why I act. For my own sake I do it, he says. My glory I'll give to no other. In Ezekiel 20, uh, verse 9, it says, But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom my people lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. He says, I acted for the sake of my name. They were oppressed. As David is speaking of here in this psalm, and he's being oppressed, and he's, he's asking for the salvation of God to come, the deliverance of God, the fulfillment of his promises. And, and sinful, selfish people would say, for me. So that, the, that I can stop suffering. So that I can stop being oppressed and hurt and feeling this way. But here, he says, I acted in Ezekiel 29. He says, the, the reason I delivered the people of Israel from the slavery in Egypt was for my own sake was for my own name, was for my own glory. And we've talked about this many times before. The reason that that is the best thing for God to do, the reason that God acting for the glory of His own name is the best thing for you and the best thing for me is because we are only ever content when we uh, are found in God. And so if God is less than glorious, if God is not as, as famous a, a, above all other things, and then we are always searching after other things to, to try to find our fulfillment and contentment and that will always let us down. But if the fame of God's name is, is renowned, if it's known in, in every corner of the earth, if all the nations would, would glorify his name, all the nations then would be able to be content and be satisfied to have true joy and everlasting pleasure in heaven forevermore because they, they recognize God as most glorious. That's the best thing for, for every single one of us. Every single one of us. The best thing for us to know is that God is to be glorified. And so the, the fame of his name is the best thing for us. It's the best thing for a broken and sinful world, for, for a person who's depressed. The best thing is the glory of God's name, is the fame of his name. For the person who is alone, the best thing for them is the glory of God's name. The person who is abused, the person who is uh, addicted, the person who is a habitual liar, the person who is bitter, the person who is angry, the person who is lustful, the best thing for them is that God be the greatest thing, that He be the greatest treasure. The glory of God's name is our greatest need. That we would glorify Him above all other things. And there be satisfied and content and delivered. It's only when we recognize Him as most glorious do we ever come to an end of ourselves and admit our need of that salvation that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need that. That's why it's, we celebrate the fact that God acts for His own name. Like in Ezekiel 20, verse 9. Also in Jeremiah 14, 7. Here's what he says. Though our iniquities testify against us, Jeremiah says, Act, O Lord, for the sake of your name. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. It's a great place to recognize. Great place to be. To be humbled. 
Later in that chapter, Jeremiah 14, verses 20 and 21 says, We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for the sake of your, for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. And you see, David appeals to that here in this psalm as well. In verse 123, the fulfillment of his righteous promise. That, that covenant in verse 124, the, the steadfast love, that covenant of God. Jeremiah also appeals to that when he's saying, God, we are wicked, we are sinful, but don't spurn us. Don't cut us off forever. Don't leave us this way. Don't fail to deliver us for the sake of your name. Don't dishonor your glorious throne because we have sinned. Remember and don't break your covenant with us. Because, God, you've covenanted to us, your people. And as difficult as it would be for us to love a sinner, another person who sinned against us, God, in his infinite holiness, it is impossible for him to love and cherish us. Literally, in, in our concept of thinking, it's impossible. But yet God has covenanted to do it through a relationship repaired when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our sin has been done away with. It has been dealt with. It's been um, justified. It's amazing that he appeals to the promise of God. Here, David says, the servants of God ask God to act in verse 126 because the fame of his name is on the line. Because his law has been broken. When people break the law of God, when people disobey God, they say to God, your law is not good enough. It's not good enough. It's broken. Your law doesn't work. My way is better than your way, God. So it happens. When people break the law of God, they say, God, I, I don't serve you. I won't serve you. I only serve myself. I'm in charge of the way I live. I follow me. I don't believe that you know what's best for me, God. This way, the way I'm choosing, my desires, my actions, they are much more desirable than you are. That's what we say when we break God's law. That this thing, this thing I'm choosing to do instead of what God has said, this thing is better than you are, God. It's to be more sought after than you are, God. It's more lovely than you are, God. It is more satisfying than you are, God. As you hear those things, it should break your heart. It should break your heart, knowing the perfection of God, knowing His infinite goodness, knowing His boundless mercy, knowing His loving leadership, knowing His righteous judgments, knowing His loyal and costly love, and yet, in sin, People say, we say, no, God, not today. That's what sin says. We reject God. His law is not good enough for us, and his ways are not good enough for us, and, and he is simply not good enough for us. It's a devastating effect of the sin nature in us. 
that we would be so selfish, so self-obsessed, so self-trusting that we would refuse God's way and choose our own. It's devastating. Because when we do, we sin against the very one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who we can spend eternity with in heaven through what he has done for us. And yet we sin and say, no, thank you. It is devastating. But, but Christ, being rich in mercy, has changed it all. He, he, being rich in mercy, he died for sinners. He died. In our place, condemned, he stood. Taking on, absorbing the wrath of God for your sin if you would place it on him. If that's been your life, you've had ears to hear, eyes to see, humbled as, as the people that Jeremiah represented was, was we, we're wicked. Come to God for his way and trust it only. And Christ has stood on your behalf and, and made a way for you, made the way, the truth, and the life. That he has brought you to life. That you were, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has raised you to new life. But God being rich in mercy, right? We love those verses in Ephesians. God has done that for us. He came in Christ. He came to be the just and the justifier. You see in verse 121, where David says, I have done what is just and right. Jesus has done better. He's always just. And he was always right. In all that he did. In every way including the way of the cross. He was just and the justifier of the weak. And, and he was also the pledge and the covenant. Verse 1, 22. Give your servant a pledge of good. Jesus is the better pledge. The Holy Spirit, which is given to us as a seal, is the better pledge. What is it that we long for? Well, we long for Christ. Because Christ also is the salvation and the fulfillment of the promise that we see in 123. We long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. That is Christ. We long for that and its effects. And so we are, we are glad that we can look to Christ for these things. Be delivered from our sinful ways and all the times that we've defamed God. There's deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to him for that. The one who is just, the one who is our pledge, the one who is our salvation and the promise fulfilled. We look to Christ. Look to Christ. In 1 John 2 verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 126 here in our passage says it's time for the Lord to act. For your law has been broken. Your name has been defamed. It's time for you to act. For you to vindicate yourself. For you to, to come. To make it right. It, individually in certain people. And he does that, right? 
He, what once was, we defamed him on an ongoing basis. The, he made us to be his image bearers, to reflect his glory, to give him honor and glory by our lives. We are broken in our sinfulness, and so we do a very uh, poor job, worse than poor. And so, through the Lord Jesus Christ, he's making that right. He's given us a new life, new affections, new desires. He's beginning to sanctify us, to make us after the image of his son. He's, ref- he's transforming us, reforming us, renewing our mind, piecing us back together so that we are beginning to reflect his glory a little bit better each day as he tries us through fire and trial and sanctifies us and purifies us through his word. He does that. He does that. He gets us more back in line with the law that we have broken. It's time for him to act, and he's doing it for his glory. The last two verses here says, uh, therefore, in the ESV translation, or a, a good way to, to begin this sentence, maybe make it easier to understand, is, therefore, since I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold, and, and because I consider all your precepts to be right, I hate every false way. I hate every false way because I love your commandments. They're there to be treasured above gold. I hate every false way because I consider your precepts to be right. And when I follow your precepts, it brings you glory. And that's my desire. We have to reject this false notion that if we are just and right, God owes us. Uh, a pledge of good. He owes us salvation. Never. Never. But it's according to his steadfast love, as we pray as David does in 124, according to your steadfast love, deal with me. And when he does, we live a life of gratitude for his grace. He has graciously come to us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, the ungodly, the enemies. And, and through believing in him, through trusting in him, through throwing our lives upon him and, and all of our sin upon him and saying, you need to make me new. And when we do, he does. And through that, we begin to grow in our likeness of Christ because he transforms us in, in his own image. And so we then live our lives of gratitude, not just for past grace, but for future grace, for the grace that he's going to give us tomorrow to sustain us to be able to fight this battle, to be able to fight even the temptation to trust in ourselves, to trust in, in, in what you know, we think we deserve. David could have asked, because he was being oppressed, God, act because I've been mistreated, but he doesn't. He says, God, act because you've been mistreated. May that be, may that be the main cry of our hearts. The main reason we're pleading with God and appealing to God in prayer. God, do something. Not for us, but for your glory. Let's pray. God, we don't give you what you deserve. We give you far less than you deserve. Even as those of us who have come to faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even of those of us who are your children. Who are... Um, being remade by you. We don't, we don't give you the praise and the honor that you deserve. And we're so thankful for your grace. So thankful for your steadfast, loyal, covenantal love towards us. And, and we are so thankful that you deal with us according to it. Because without that, we would be still in our sin. 
we would be lost, and we would perish for eternity. So we thank you for the grace that you show towards us and your love that we do not deserve. And pray, pray, oh God, that you would act. Not so that we would have relief, not so that we would feel more comfortable, not so that we would escape trials or tribulations, but act for the sake of your own name. Because you have been defamed in our own hearts and you've been defamed in our own world. And so we want you to come to act, to move, to save sinners, to bring that salvation, to bring deliverance to our communities, to this world, so that you can receive the honor due your name. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.